With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Troy. Yes! It is all over. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to a very special 150th episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me, I can't think of a better person to uh, be celebrating this milestone with than my co-host and friend, Corbin Ford. And uh, I actually looked this up. I didn't I didn't mention this to Corbin prior to recording, but uh, Corbin making his 30th appearance on the pod for this episode. So, uh... Congratulations on that, Corvin. You know, pretty impressive number in its own right. That, no, dude, first off, congrats to you. I, I, I said before I even came on this show, I was already a big fan. Um, I, I kind of got my first start with the, the early breakdowns you did. of, um, And we mentioned this several times before, but even before the Jordan, and well, I, I listened out of order, so before the Jordan-LeBron comparison ones, I know you yeah, I did one, a re-one I listened to on the Lakers uh, Blazers series. I've been a huge fan of the show before. I've been honored to not only you know, be on the show, but get to know you more and really become friends with you. And dude, that is awesome. I did not know it was my 30th. They all just flew. If you had asked me before, I couldn't even told you. (laughs) Yeah. That is so cool. And to be on the 150th, I mean, that's an honor for you, man. That's a lot of content. Um, and and it's deep dive stuff that you do, um, including league pass radio and everything. And I'm just happy to be part of it. And I mean, to get 30 in there, that that's wow. That is, that is cool. Thank you. That's awesome. Well, yeah, the pleasure's all been mine, and uh, you're actually sneaking up on uh, being the the number two participant on this pod because my my original co-host Anthony Brown had 33 appearances. So you're you're sneaking up. You're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna be uh, number two here shortly. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, of course. Thanks for thanks for being a part of this. It's been a blast, and hopefully we can have another uh, you know another 150. But uh, this episode we decided because. We're basically a week into the NBA season. We decided to break down the the first week of the NBA and what we've seen. And, uh, you know, Corbin and I obviously have have watched a lot of hoops 
throughout uh, the last six or seven days. We're recording this on a, a Tuesday night. But, uh, Corbin, I guess my first question for you out of the first week, I mean, how do you feel the, the quality of the basketball has been, given that for, for some teams like the Lakers and Heat, it's been a very, very short offseason. And then uh, for the uh, the Delete Eight, it's been an incredibly long break uh, since since they've been on the floor. What's funny is that the Delete Eight, most of those teams are the ones that are strongest coming out the gate. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. As far as the quality of basketball, um, it definitely is some bubble basketball. I think we can uh, say that. It's been a lot of blowouts, um, some ugly shooting performances. It's It's been... Um, it's been it's been something else. Uh, I, I want to say not a whole lot of fun to be honest with you, but I, I mean there's been some back and forth. I think it was early um the Kings Nuggets game. Yeah. Um, you had the Blazers and Rockets. You know, there, there's been some decent games kind of sprinkled in there, but I mean the Christmas Day was kind of the highlight of the epitome of the basketball that we witnessed this season. Well, and you know, yeah, typically that's the that's the day where the NBA makes its its moolah and. Uh, you know, had five marquee matchups, but really they were they were mostly blowouts. So even that was you know the Christmas Day was a bit disappointing. Um, and uh, you know, given I'm also a movie buff, and there were a couple of movies coming out that day, I didn't actually spend a ton of time watching basketball uh, on on Christmas. But yeah, the, there's been some blowouts. There's been some good ones. You you brought up the the Denver Sacramento game. We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll we'll talk about some some individual game highlights we've seen we'll talk about some some player standouts as well uh, but as far as like a uh, overall takeaway one of the first things I got to bring up from what I've noticed Corbin is you know after watching last season and we look at these rookies right that are coming into the league and we watch them struggle and a lot of people immediately jump to the conclusion that these guys are are not good that was a you know, uh, 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 they're a bust. It was a blown draft pick. All that, all that stuff. All that to me, sucks. we've got to we've got to throw that out the window because I have seen a lot of second year players that, uh, as rookies, looked as bad as you could look, and all of a sudden seem like brand new players. That's true. I mean, the the curve, the development curve for rookies is different from guards to bigs and as far as late bloomers and I mean even guys that were just ridiculous um one we can talk about later uh, as far as coming out the year uh, Josh Jackson is actually looking mad decent right now um Killian Hayes right now is someone I talked about recently who's been uh, kind of rough but at the same time um you know he can always rebound and you're right like those who are doing this especially off of such a small sample size it's it's I get it you know we kind of have to talk about something but it's it's a lot it's a lot yeah, the guys I had in mind when I mentioned that, talking about Darius Garland for the Cavs, he looks a lot more confident, a lot oh, more comfortable yes. out there. DeAndre Hunter for the Hawks was incredible in the preseason. He's kept that up in the regular season as well. He's looked like a solid starting small forward. Uh, you, you look at a guy like uh, Jarrett Culver in Minnesota, a guy that as the sixth pick just uh, was completely lost. His shot was dreadful his shot still doesn't look that pretty but he's starting to hit some shots he's starting to make some plays defensively but but yeah a lot of those guys that people just said well we're, we're kind of done with them all of a sudden they're you know looking kind of promising yeah and, and like you said Darius Garland being one particular these guys they take some time you know you you the game is, is, is so fast when you get in you know when a 
spot, a 3 and D dude. Um, just finding your place and working alongside that. Yeah, the development is night and day. You mentioned some guys who, yes, you look at them and they look so polished, crisp, in control. And, and you look at them the year before and, yeah, they had moments of talent in that, in that vein, but they were woefully outmatched. And you're right. Some of it I think will be interesting to see. And we talked about, you mentioned two teams, um, both the Hawks and the Cavs, two teams that were, you know, not in, they were the Elite Eight. Like, how interesting it is if they had more time to kind of get under them. And almost an inverse of what happened with Tyler Hero in terms of his rookie season being benefited from having that time off and then getting right back to basketball in that clutch kind of atmosphere um, with these other guys who, yeah, they weren't able to get on the court, but you had a lot more time for, like, training, you know, and kind of getting more film in. And the intangibles that don't really show up on the actual court in that way, but the behind-the-scenes the research, you do the homework. Yeah, and, you know, I'm certainly not suggesting that we discount everything that rookies do, but I'm more like, at this point, saying that if they're good let's give them credit if they're bad let's give them let's give them time you know uh and uh you know another overall theme that i would say i've noticed in this first week is this what was supposedly a terrible rookie class uh, this year looks looks pretty solid uh you you talk about guys like uh you know patrick williams at the number four pick he was a guy that I, I thought that was a bit of a reach from Chicago, but I watch him play now, and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, initially when I looked at his college tape, I did like his pull-up game, but when I actually see him out there with other NBA athletes, he looks like a decent athlete. He's got a pretty decent handle. He's got good size. All of a sudden I'm like, you know, he's got, uh, you know, with a decent mid-range game, with the strength to create space and the ball handling ability, like his his offensive ceiling is a, a lot higher than I initially expected. Yeah, kind of off ball, on ball versatility. I looked at like a three and D guy who was pretty good, but at the same time, like you know, a fifth, you know, that's kind of high. You know what I mean? Um, with that being said, or fourth, kind of, or fourth. Oh my, sheesh! A cool fourth overall. I forgot about that, but like. <laughs> With that, it's like, yeah, Isaac Cole was fifth, gosh darn it. Anyway, even with that, I was like, uh, yeah, for a, a elite role player, but like a role player nonetheless, I was getting some heavy uh, Marvin Williams vibes. Even though I know he's taking second, it's kind of a jump there. But even so, it was like, um, what are you expecting to get from him? And mind you, the Bulls have been pretty terrible, but like in, in the Bulls' performances, the shining spot consistently has been Williams. Yeah, and a Coro guy that you, again, I'll 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 bring it up when when I think I'm probably wrong here. Although it's early, uh, you know, you, a guy that you were higher on than me, Isaac Okoro. Uh, my big concern was his jumper, and he's he's been, you know, I don't have the statistics on me, but uh, in the game I watched, not only did he make a couple of threes, but uh, his his form looks legitimately improved from his college tape. Uh, which which is definitely promising for him because I, I liked the rest of his uh, skill skill set, uh, but you know a guy like Tyrese Halliburton for uh, for Sacramento has looked has looked really solid. I've also you know another guy I was low on in large part because I'm I was worried about his his attitude and his effort and his off the court uh, antics, but Anthony Edwards has 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 been solid so far for Minnesota. Looking very confident, his shot selection is is much improved from his college days already. So, yeah, this uh, this this young draft class, James Wiseman, another guy that you know certainly hasn't made a big impact towards the Warriors winning, but uh, he's he's put up d- 
decent counting stats, and the jumper has has been more consistent than uh, than I than I certainly expected. Yeah, it's very polished. You know, it takes a minute to get off, but it looks good. He's been the one warrior uh, that's actually played with poise. I want to say, which is weird to say as a rookie, and especially on a team that has guys like Steph Curry and got in the league as long, but still like six, seven year vets like Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. Um, you know, obviously missing Draymond Green and defensively, you know, there's something there, but he's been nice. He's been their one consistent flash. You know, he's kind of a question mark going in. And now, again, with the caveat that it's early, I look at him as like a definite part of this core. Like, that was the plan already from being drafted, but I look at him as that off the top. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, again, it's, it's early, and, and obviously all these guys, no matter how good they look, a lot of their success and their career is going to depend on them, their, their work ethic and continuing to, to get better day in and day out. But, yeah, you know, you're talking about guys that were uh, outside the top ten. Devin Vassell for San Antonio has, has looked interesting. He's uh, the 3-and-D the type player, getting his hands on a lot of balls, getting deflections. I, I really have liked the look of him. Cole Anthony for Orlando uh, has has shown signs. And even um, Precious Achua for, for Miami is a guy that, like, oh, he's just this, this energy big that can contribute right away. He got bullied a little bit by Steven Adams, but most uh, most rookie bigs would. Uh, yeah, you know, the, this draft is, is, is very solid. But, but yeah, I mean, Corbin, were there any other kind of um, more general takeaways you had from the first week of the season before we kind of dive into the, the specifics of some of the games and, and players and, and things we've noticed? Um, yeah, like the hot take machine has been firing already. Um, how the Warriors are going to look, um, who had the best offseason, how that was going to manifest itself. And, and I guess just understanding that, you know, all these teams are coming from different situations in terms of rest and with the bubble, and it's manifesting itself differently. So we see some performances that are, you know, a little, a little crazy, um, a little out of hand. We've seen some teams that I think were because the season started early, we're already in fine form, we're already in December form for, you know, hot takes, even though we'll take into account that rookies are just playing their third game without the benefit of a summer league or their fourth or fifth game without benefit of a summer league, that, that some like the Lakers have had just 71 days in between games, so sometimes when they come out flat, it just happens, and that, you know, games like uh, the Clippers versus uh, the Mavericks, I know we'll probably talk about that, um, some things like that are liable to happen. I mean, not franchise worst kind of 50-point halftime deficit, but, you know, there may be some more aberrations in the early going of the season, because it's a season unlike others. I'm going to be honest with you, Corbin. I saw that score, and I didn't bother watching it. <laughs> oh, dude, you know what's f- I'm not going to lie. I was watching it from the beginning, and it was weird because at in real time, as the Mavs lead was growing, and gr- I was almost mesmerized. I was like, um, wow. Oh, my God, it's 20. And you know, a little, no love is lost between me and the Clippers. Oh, my God, it's 30. Oh, my God. Like, I was getting pumped. And I'm sitting there going, wait, but how? Like, it's, it wasn't. It, like even like the, eye, the the numbers, looking at the numbers later, back to eye test, it was a solid night by the Mavs, but the Clippers just stunk to epic proportions. But yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, and that's how I am with some of these blots. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll check the highlights on YouTube. I'll um, you know, look at the numbers, of course. But like, I'm not gonna spend an hour and a half watching a 30 point blowout. You know, I'm just not gonna do it. Even with the Bucks right now, um, as we're recording it, you know, with the whole game they're having, you know, the, it's it's 144 to 97, <laughs> and that's the end of the game. 144 to 97, like. I do not regret not watching that. You know what I mean? Like, it's it, this is a trend. But anyway, let me let me get back to you. I'm ready to dive into some games, man. This is oh, this is insane. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess let's let's start with the uh, 
the opening night affairs on December 22nd, we had the, the Warriors taking on the Brooklyn Nets. And with, uh, with that game, my, my immediate reaction uh, after watching that is, you know, my optimism picking the Nets to make the, uh, the NBA Finals is, is very much warranted. <laughs> I mean, I, it's so, yeah, yeah, it, it, they looked, oh man, that offense, man, that offense. Uh, they had some nicks, I think we gotta talk about, you know, the recent changes that have come up, yep. um, unfortunately, um, but yes, and, and, and you could even just go from that opening night to the last couple of games we've seen from them, um, yeah, I have to, I don't know, I was a lot more, obviously, hesitant than you were on this, but like, why, I didn't, whoa. Like, they look like, they say it on Twitter all the time, X, Y, Z is a problem. Brooklyn's a problem. Yeah, and I mean, I I picked them to make the finals thinking Kevin Durant, like, you know, probably his uh, his floor was being, like, the the 15th best player and his ceiling this year was maybe being inside the top 10. But he, he looks like a top five player again. Uh, <laughs> Which uh, is is really good news for Brooklyn and Kyrie has been has been excellent. If he can stay healthy, that'll be huge. But uh, yeah, the the news you're talking about, of course, Spencer Dinwiddie tearing his ACL, that certainly hurts uh, their their title chances. He's out for the year. Um, you know, a guy that was starting for them, and also you know during the regular season, a guy that I thought would be able to fill in nicely if if they chose to sit Kyrie or if Kyrie got hurt. Um, but uh, you know. If I'm Steve Nash and, and uh, you know, looking looking for the rest of the regular season and also into the playoffs, I'm thinking I, I want to keep Levert in that second unit. I think he's been looking good as that facilitator off the bench. And, and he's actually, you know, because Levert is this ball-dominant player, Steve Nash has said, well, if he's just going to have the ball in his hands the entire time, we might as well not stagger Kyrie and Durant and just yeah. kill teams with those two on the floor as many minutes as possible. Um, so I think they should continue with that and instead, you know, just just bring in a guy like Landry Shamit into the starting lineup, a guy that gives you that shooting. And Shamit, of course, was a, was a point guard in college, so he can be another guy that brings the ball up the floor if you need it, like Dinwiddie could. Uh, and then... You know, you can, uh, if obviously then you would need to fill Shamit's role in the second unit, but they've got, you know, TLC, Timothy Luwawu Cabarro, who's really been, you know, assigned garbage time minutes. I think he's he's good enough to step in and, and be a, a bench contributor. Yeah, and I, I definitely like what you said about Shamit because, you know, he did play some in college, um, some points, some shooting. He could kind of do a little bit of both. I think his skills were not fully utilized with Los Angeles, with the Clippers. Um, not surprised there, but he kind of has that as um, in his toolbox that he can use, you know, when called upon. And I liked what you said about Kevin Levert because I agree, at least up until you know this recent uh, change with Brooklyn, um, you know, he's been able to go and have kind of carte blanche as far as running the offense, using his skills as an initiator, not having to be crowded on the court with KD and, and Kyrie in a way that you know he's a, a low 30 percent uh, three point shooter, so off ball. Maybe not exactly. His forte being on the ball, being able to initiate, is more utilizing a skill set there. And yeah, I agree. Steve Nash basically said, okay, you know, here's the offense off the bench, go cook. Um, and he's done that really decently in a role that's probably best suited for him. Um, at least on a start. I still think he can be a starter, but not on this team per se, unless, you know, absolutely have to. Because I don't think you're utilizing his full um, skill set in that way. 
Yeah, uh, so you know Brooklyn looking looking really good, and their defense has been has been really impressive. That was you know I was very confident about their offense, and uh, you know, but but looking back, even last year, you know, you you look at their roster, even for 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 the 2019-20 team, and you think you know this doesn't this team doesn't have a ton of defensive talent, and they finished I believe in the top half of the league on on defense, just inside the top half, and so you you do wonder like okay maybe. Maybe this team, even if the you know the defensive talent isn't great, maybe they can be close to an average defense. Or you know, with with how good Kevin Durant has looked, if he can maintain being like a, an above average wing defender, maybe they can be an above average defense. And in that case, yeah, they are truly a a title contender. But um, speaking of uh, the team that they ended up walloping in that opening night, the Golden State Warriors. Uh, a team that is now uh, one and two as we're recording this again. We're recording this on Tuesday night, so when 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 people are hearing this Wednesday or later, there will probably be a few games uh, that have that have gone by. But um, as we're speaking, the Warriors one and two with that uh, that uh, one win being a game-winning three by Damian Lee to uh, just barely defeat the Chicago Bulls. Uh, but the Warriors have have really struggled and and my big concern with this team was not only the lack of passing on the roster but really the lack of shooting and uh you know especially with guys like Wiggins and Oubre and Steph Curry who's this great offensive player but one of his biggest strengths is forcing those double teams and creating four on threes for his teammates um, but when those four-on-threes are leading to wide-open Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins threes, and they're shooting, I think, four of 30 on those shots, uh, you know, the, the offense is going to be bad. Yeah, and that's just what it was. And, and by the way, now uh, they did beat the hapless Detroit Pistons, 116-106, uh, and so now they're 2-2, two and two, but even so, uh, Andrew Wiggins bounced back 5-8 from three. Okay. <laughs> Kelly Oubre one of but I guess he made some shots that weren't dunks. And even then, you're right. Not only are you not getting the, the, the same three-point looks knocked down that you were of Golden State Warriors teams of old, but you're also not getting that same off-ball awareness. You know, so many times, and, and including from what I saw of this game, you have, you know, uh, Andrew Wiggins or Kelly Oubre with the ball, Steph Curry moving, setting picks, doing what he's been in the system doing for years and getting open. They're not even looking at him. I mean, it was one play, um, I think Nate Duncan pointed out, where Kelly Oubre had the ball going down the break and took, like, a good three seconds to notice Steph Curry to pass the ball to him. Like, the, the awareness is one thing that's almost as bad as the ice-cold shooting percentages, which they've given you in spades. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you you brought up the, the game tonight and, and Wiggins going 5 of 8, but I think that's, that's part of the issue, right, is these guys shoot... I think Oubre was a 35% shooter last year from three, and, and Wiggins was uh, slightly worse and has been in the low 30s for most of his career. But it's also a streaky, um, you know, 32%. So you get three games where he goes maybe three of 14, <laughs> and then you get one game where he goes five of eight. So, yeah, it's very helpful in that one game, and it obviously helped the Warriors win against Detroit. But those other three games, uh, you know, he, your team's kind of screwed. Yeah, and, and you said it, and, that, and that's shown itself. I mean, you needed uh, a Damian Lee three to save the day, literally, against the Bulls, who, outside of Williams, have had few bright spots. Um, that's a lot for a team that had aspirations of winning. 
of having a good defense, as you know, uh, Steve Kerr alluded to several times in the past. I'm, this isn't exactly the realization of that. This is, you know, thank your lucky stars that uh, you were able to do that. And also the schedule, you know, yeah, I guess if you looked at this objectively, if you said, what would the Warriors be through their first four games? I think we'd take 2-2. Two -two. I don't think we'd say they were better than either the first two teams to match up with, either the Nets or the Bucks. But to get handled like they did quite easily by both, come on now. Like, nobody's expecting that. Uh, and you're right. It, it, it's a jarring change. And I think I was already rather low on the Warriors, but I had some hope uh, that they would kind of compete for a playing spot. I, I don't I don't know. Uh, unless one of these players on this roster turns to someone they're not, uh, it is very not likely. And even with the looming return of one Draymond Green, what he brings will be helpful on both ends. But he's not an extra offensive, you know, uh, initiated as far as like putting the ball in the basket. He'll create easier shots. And that's what they need, but they actually need guys to convert more shots. And, I mean, you're, again, Steph Curry's going to bring, for the most part, steady production. He'll have some high school shooting nights and don't catch him on Christmas. But aside from that, um, you should be fairly okay with him. But these other guys you're looking at, again, mostly Wiggins and, and Oubre, cause for concern. Yeah, my, you know, my big thing on why I thought the Warriors were going to have to win games more in the defensive end than the offensive end is, like, you know, Again, with with their shooting around Curry being so poor, uh, it, it's it's you know I think Curry is so great that he can still probably make those lineups, uh, especially if Draymond's out there as a passer and facilitator and screen setter. That he those two can can make the offense like average or slightly above average. But when Steph is off the court or you know God forbid out injured, uh, their their offense is going to be one of the worst, if not the worst, in the entire NBA. Uh, so. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna have to get this done on the defensive end and and hopefully uh, you know they, they haven't shown to be very good defensively thus far but hopefully when you bring in a, a top 10 level defender in Draymond when he's committed and playing hard that uh, he can he can get them to another level but yeah the I, I think we we're, we're both uh, rather low on the Warriors even though as you said I, I think they should feel decent about being two and two without their second best player at this stage I mean, yeah, I guess you're right in, in, in terms of where they are. I just don't know how much higher their ceiling raises. I mean, I think that with so many holes that they have, you know, Draymond can definitely clip from a defensive end, especially helping Uber, who just looks hapless on that end. Offensively, someone who could actually catch Curry, you know, get guys in the right position. But long term, I don't know. So the, the other game on opening night was the, the Clippers and the Lakers. And... Uh... I know uh, Corbin, of course, uh, a big yeah. Lakers fan, so you you must have been very disappointed in in that result. So I was, but honestly, with as long as the ring ceremony went and having the families and everything there, I thought it was dope. And I thought that you don't just go from that with the edge needed to beat a team that not only did not achieve what they thought they would, but to sit in the locker room and do all of that. I didn't think they were going to have the edge necessary, and I mean, it was proven correctly. You know what I mean? So it was weird. I, it was the fact that it was kind of within reach until Paul George decided to put it out of out of everyone's hands was um, definitely surprising, and I guess made it a little more hard to swallow because the Lakers were technically still within get grasp of it. Um, at the same time, though, no. After after the ring ceremony, I was like, wow, I, I don't. The human element of it came into play. Like, okay, you go from that, you achieved your goal. You know, you, you, you get in your ring, everything's going down, and then all of a sudden you're playing a team that has extra, extra motivation to beat you down. And, you know, you just don't have it. Add to that that you're not bringing back the entirely same new team. Yeah, truncated offseason. I mean, it, it, the excuse. 
just kind of hurt themselves after a while. Um, going into it, I was definitely hyped, and then like maybe 20, 20 minutes before the game, I was like, oh yeah, this, this actually isn't going to happen. Yeah, um, from a, from a Clippers perspective, I think you you had to be thrilled at how Nicholas Batum and Serge Ibaka looked with the rest of the roster. I think those guys have uh, have fit in pretty seamlessly and have given them a different sort of element. Uh, you know, Batum with his passing, I think this team just desperately needs a little bit more passing. Uh, and then Ibaka with that uh, ability to space the floor and also protect the rim was 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 crucial and and. You mentioned it. Paul George was absolutely in fuego, the best player on the floor. Um, so, uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the big thing about Ty Lue as well is he's going to emphasize taking three-point shots. And this Clippers team, you know, I thought they were the best shooting team in the NBA last year, and, and I think they still are this season. And, uh, you know, Ty Lue is going to emphasize and, and run sets to, uh, to prioritize getting up the three-ball. Yeah, uh, most most definitely. You saw they were a lot faster, you know, getting on the break and, and not being as deliberate, not playing through Kawhi in the post as much. Um, they got, definitely got the three ball flying. Uh, still need some time for the new pieces to all jive, as you can already imagine, you know, uh, having Kennard, having Batum, having guys like that. But they look good. I, I wasn't not pleased with the way the Lakers played. I just felt like, you know, they, they Marcus all looked totally out of it, um, and I don't think the Clippers are a good matchup for him at all. Uh, you know, he only played 12 minutes and, and struggled with foul trouble almost from the get. You know, it was a weird kind of disjointed game, you know? Um, if you're the Clippers, you have to be happy with how they looked. But if you're a Lakers, but I don't think you're necessarily disheartened by the matchup. It wasn't exactly an ideal matchup for them last year with the Clippers, rather being. And uh, look how that turned out. So, I mean, I think a lot of it will come down to scheme. Um, you know, players just kind of ramping up, getting the gear. And, yeah, I'm not totally, uh, I'm not totally out of it. Yeah, uh, that's a good point about Gasol, that being a poor matchup, because he's, again, a guy that is so good with his help defense, his rim protection, and with the Clippers and Ibaka being that uh, guy that can, can really space space out and hit the three, yeah, he he, uh, he often found himself uh, getting into the paint and then getting beat on those shots. I almost wonder, in a potential playoff matchup, if Vogel would mix up the the centers that he has and and try to get Gasol out there when Zubac is on the floor. I think that would be a lot better for uh, for the Spaniard. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Just a better matchup, you know. That's another thing I have to talk about. We're talking about the Lakers from the in this one game, but I'm not sure that Dennis Schroeder is a good uh, start for the Lakers. I think that the minute the, the, play, the impact that he does uh, impact more is, is Gasol. If Gasol can be starting five, and to a lesser extent, AD, um, because he needs to get the ball. And you know, LeBron will do it. But LeBron's putting the playmaking with Schroeder, and LeBron's definitely going to score. So it's just, I don't know. Yeah, the um. I don't know how to, you know. I I I've actually liked Schroeder so far. I've been more concerned with with Harrell. Um, you know, in that. Really? In that game against the Clippers, uh, I think they the the plus minus when when Harrell and Zubat shared the floor, I think the Clippers were plus twenty two. So again, I think that would be a situation where maybe if uh, if Vogel switched that matchup, maybe Harrell would be we would be better suited going up against Ibaka as opposed to to Zubac. But uh, you know, I. I I worry that Harrell is really, you know, hurts the Lakers' defense quite a bit. Uh, he's continued to struggle in that area. He's all, he's never been that great of a defender. I certainly think he's he's continued to produce 
on the offensive end and on the glass like he always has. But this Lakers identity is is defense, and uh, he takes away a little bit from that when he's out there. And, you know, the Lakers are also this team that I think is, uh, I, I know you don't watch a lot of soccer, but I, I watch the Lakers and I think this is a counterattack team where they they get life off of their defensive stops, forcing turnovers and then getting out in transition. And, uh, you know, Harrell is a guy that doesn't really, he doesn't have long arms, he doesn't really make any plays, whereas, you know, guys like Gasol, Davis, and LeBron are all defensive playmakers. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, this team's identity, like you said, is different. Digging deep and getting that extra gear in, in terms of, or in, in regards to um, working out and getting that, deep, that, that that turnover transition game going is not going to be in this team. You know, being able to muck it up with your bigs, having JaVale McGee and Howard, that vertical kind of rim attack to kind of take some pressure off in a way, even though it, it stopped the floor in one way, it proved a, a very good rim deterrent and a capable enough switch defense on the other end um, with the versatility with, you know, uh, Marquise Morris and others to kind of switch it up a little. And now, yeah, it's different. It's definitely more offensive-minded. The only problem is that when the offense has lulls, you don't have that defensive backdrop to fall, especially when you're playing Harold like that. I like Harold, um, personally, as you know, but I think that, and I think it kind of came into play a little bit in terms of yesterday's game against uh, the Blazers, where having Harold and AD on the floor, the Blazers were very free to double-team um, AD, and then AD can make the kind of pass to Harold from, like, just in front of the rim, but the defense, because AD's already in the in the lane, doesn't have to rotate that much, and Harold doesn't exactly have a wide-open shot. It just constricts the floor, which we already kind of knew would happen, but when he's not bringing anything on the defensive end of the rebounding glass or anything else, then you kind of have issues. Right, yeah, there was... Uh, um... I know the exact thing you're talking about where Harrell's kind of in the dunker spot and, and Davis gets doubled so he flashes to about the five-foot mark in the paint and uh, he had he had a key one towards the, yep. the end of that game that he hit off the back of the rim. And yeah, it's like, would you rather have an Anthony Davis uh, post up against a, a mismatch or would you rather have Harrell doing one of those like five to ten-foot push shots? I would, I would much rather see Davis attack one-on-one, but... Uh, um, yeah, those are those, those are some of the challenges that Frank Vogel certainly is going to have to uh, to figure out as the season goes on. Um, I, I understand your your skepticism with Schroeder and that they don't that starting lineup especially doesn't really need any extra playmaking. And maybe Vogel over over the time as as he gets to understand this team will will perhaps take Schroeder out a little earlier and get like a Caruso or somebody like that in with the starters for more time and then bring Schroeder back more to line him up with, with Harrell's minutes. Uh, I certainly think that could be a possibility. Oh, yeah, more than likely. Like you said, tweaking's not done. Um, we've seen that Vogel is definitely open to making any changes he feels are necessary for the team. Uh, and I get it right now. It looks like your best lineup, and maybe I'm a little more hesitant than most. I'm probably fine with that. And, you know, if they if they deem will be changed, I know that it will be. It won't just be kept that way just for the sake of all that's how we kept it so at least that feels good you know what i mean absolutely so let's move on to uh the the actual opening night for the vast majority of teams was december 23rd and uh i'll just mention a, a few of the games that i watched and then we can we can talk about whichever games you feel are uh, are interesting but uh uh, of course, I did uh, on League Pass Radio last week on Duncan Dynasty, the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Boston Celtics. That ended up being a thriller with Jason Tatum hitting a, a step back for the game winner. I also uh, was able to catch 
the uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Charlotte Hornets game. And it's funny, you know, Corbin, I'm on, uh, I have YouTube TV. And uh, prior to this season, I, you know, living in Ohio, I always had the Fox Sports Ohio and Fox Sports Detroit channels. And that's how I'd watch the Cavs and Pistons games. But uh, the YouTube TV and the and the Fox Sports channels have, have uh, they're no longer working together. So uh, I do not have access to those channels. So I have to wait three days to watch any Cavs or Pistons games. So Yes, I am enough of an NBA nerd that I watched the Cleveland Cavaliers versus the Charlotte Hornets like four days after it aired. <laughs> uh, That's how you do it, man. That's how it's done. Yeah, uh, but uh, I also... Sacrifices. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched the uh, Atlanta Hawks uh, destroy the Chicago Bulls. You, you brought this up earlier, but the Sacramento Kings at the Denver Nuggets was a fascinating game, and then I also caught the, uh, the Dallas Mavericks against the Phoenix Suns, but uh, which one of those uh, were, were you interested in talking about? You know what? Um, I, I like, let's talk about Dallas, let's talk about Dallas-Phoenix, and only because I think Phoenix is a weird team to kind of figure out. Um, I thought it would be a much cleaner fit than this now, but I'm really concerned about DeAndre Eaton, and I want to know if my concerns are misplaced or are they kind of well, 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 well-grounded. Well, yeah, that's the... That's the only game I've watched of the Suns so far. I'm planning on catching that, uh, watching that recent game versus the the Kings uh, from from the other day here. Probably maybe after we're done recording this, but um, that that one game in particular, yeah, I was I was pretty disappointed in in large part because of the foul trouble he got in. Uh, he he committed a couple of real needless fouls uh, on on the offensive end of the floor when an offensive a teammate had the ball and an opportunity to score and he would hold his man to prevent him from helping or something. Just these plays where his his teammate was about to take the shot and uh, yeah he just like bear hugs a guy ten feet away from the ball. It's like what are you doing? That is really pointless. Uh, had another fa- another foul where he uh, went over the back. It's like you've got two fouls and you're in the second quarter. Like you got you got to be smarter than that. Uh, yeah, it's it's frustrating and and yeah on on the offensive end, it's it's a situation where yeah he he's obviously incredibly skilled and you see flashes where he'll go inside and and uh, make a play. He had a he had a couple of plays in that game where he. He took like a, a jump hook from from about five feet that looked really nice, but a lot on another possession you'll see him just catching it immediately, take an eighteen foot fadeaway, and it's like you know, yeah. <laughs> work it a little bit. You're you're seven feet tall or about seven feet tall and and two hundred and forty some pounds. Exactly, and it feels like I thought I was hoping that when Chris Paul um, came that he would kind of work that out. And like you said, one game I'll tell you, having watched a few more, that it hasn't stopped. Um, I think he had a game against the Kings where he had nine points on five shots. And it's like, come on, man. Like, you compared you and Devin Booker to, to Shaq Kobe 2.0. I bought that. When I was, <laughs> I bought that when I, you know, was lobbying for Andy picked over number one, even while knowing Luka. And, and right now, I don't even know if DA's even their, their, their fifth best play. Yeah. Um, it's concerning, but yeah, it's, it's early. And he's also... Again, this is this is really more like I would say his second year in the NBA, because uh, last year, if you remember, he played the first game of the season, then got suspended for uh, PEDs and missed 25 games. So he played like less than 40 games last season, um, and the year before that, I think he missed various times with with injuries. So 
he's he's really only got a year plus of NBA experience under his belt, so you would hope that uh, even with this season, as it goes along, that you'll see improvements. Um, and, and Phoenix certainly is hoping for that because, as you said, you know if, if he's their fifth best player, that doesn't bode well for the Suns. Uh, but uh, on, on the positive end of things for Phoenix, you know, even though Chris Paul and, and Jay Crowder didn't necessarily shoot the ball uh, particularly well in that game against Dallas, it seemed like they just immediately fit into the system and the style of play pretty well. And uh, I also really liked what I saw from Mikhail Bridges. Uh, he, he obviously in the bubble showed that he's this terrific defensive player. But there were concerns last season he had developed a bit of a hitch in his jumper. Uh, but uh, from what I saw this season, it looks like that hitch is gone now. It's back to being a relatively smooth shot. And if he can be a, a plus three-point shooter for this team, and, and you add the likes of Cam Johnson and you know Chris Paul and Booker, obviously, are terrific shooters. And... They've got like the likes of Langston Galloway as well off the bench. They this is an excellent shooting team, and if Mikael Bridges is also shooting the rock well, the Suns' offense is going to be really tough to stop. Yeah, no, it's true that versatile attack with that stable of shooters that you mentioned, uh, they can get hot. Uh, as I'm recording right now, they're talking about how um, one of the latter Crowder's already hot. So you know, it, it, at any point, this team has almost the, the gravity that. DeAndre Ayton can provide the on-ball scoring that Devin Booker can bring you, either on-ball or off, in tandem with Chris Paul, surrounded by shooters. The concept is there. You have some good wingmen. I really wish they had gone for Devin to sell in the draft, though. I'm not going to lie. The more I look at this, the more I imagine. Except Jalen Smith, when you have Damian Jones for... Or, or Tyrese Halliburton. I, exactly. Either of those guys. Either of those guys. How much better this team would be. Almost like, you know, you can look back at the Suns last year and go, hey, you know... um, the, the, the draft that they did, the draft pick they did, getting Cam Johnson, it, it was it was it was interesting. Did it work out? Yeah, it worked out. But you had guys afterwards like PJ Washington or Tyler Hero maybe or Saquon Mboya, you know that probably would have done a little better. You know, so I, I I don't know. I guess it's always a weird thing. I don't like to do a whole draft if they pick this person, but when it's the very next pick, then I do. Well, and I mean, I think it's uh, it's enough of an indictment to say that. Tyrese Halliburton and Devin Vassell are contributing on decent basketball teams right now as rookies, and Jalen Smith is behind Damian Jones on the Suns' depth chart. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't know. I guess every, I have a theory that every coach has their one, their one thing, like whether, you know, whether that's playing, um, Pat McCall minutes for who knows what or whatever. Every coach has their one, like, what are you doing type of move. And right now, apparently, uh, I'm trying to find a name for it, but whatever that name of that theory is, that's Monty Williams with Damian Jones. <laughs> yeah, and, and Smith got some action in that Dallas game, and, and he looked fine. He had a nice uh, fadeaway on the post uh, at one point, uh, turning over the left shoulder on the, the left side of the floor. Uh, you know, could he become a decent backup center for them and maybe a guy that could play a little for sure? But yeah, the what they what they gave up and potentially a, a guard of the future in Halliburton or yeah that super valuable three and D wing to add to their stable of guys a potential successor to Jay Crowder for instance uh, is was too much to to pass up if you ask me. But uh, 
Let's talk about that. Uh, let's talk about that Sacramento Denver game because boy, oh boy, was that crazy! And it all uh, it all ended with that uh, final sequence. And uh, Bo Estes, a, a, a family member of the SBC community, uh, uh, on the NBA.com top ten, he did a great call for that final sequence where he essentially said, uh, "Denver trying to get this game sealed, then they come up with a steal." Then Harrison Barnes doesn't have the feel. And no worries, though, because they've got Buddy healed. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Dude is... The dude's a, a basketball word savant. Yeah, I was... I was, uh... Yeah, enjoying that quite a bit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what a crazy sequence. And you look at Denver, though, in that game, and it was it was all Nikola Jokic. The guy is just a monster. He was destroying anybody that the Kings threw at him, but he just didn't get any help. I guess Michael Porter Jr. had a decent game, but Jamal Murray, a guy that I was very high on coming out of the bubble, but he continues to to show that you know maybe he's just not that great of a regular season performer. Yeah, he's been inconsistent as all get out. You're right. That was a big one where I was like, I don't expect you to come out the gate with 50 points. It'd be nice, you know. Oh, who's in rec fine, you know, playoff form? You know, all the jokes would have come in. But to play as bad as he has, I think one, it just cements, if we already knew this, but Nicole Jokic is the clear number one player for the Nuggets moving forward. Absolutely. Yeah, and you hope that Murray can be tandem. Um, looking at the playoffs, you may have been fooled to think that both of them together were like one and one A. Or, you know what I mean? But no, that's not what it is. It's Jokic. And then it's everybody else. And you're really hoping at this point that Murray can kind of separate from the rest of the pack and be that reliable kind of second banana that Jokic kind of needs because he is a big man and he already does so much from a playmaking perspective. As a big, they just need some additional help. But with that being said, um, at this point, I mean, I don't even know if you can hope for that. You just hope that he gets some decent, uh, some decent support, you know, from the rest of the cast because he's been playing real well. But I think the Nuggets' overall lack of depth um, losing guys like Jeremy Grant, um, you know, getting to Michael Green, but having him uh, ineffective at the time and not being in, you know, it, it, it's due to injury. It's been it's been an issue, and it's put a lot more pressure on him. Now, fortunately, Jokic is the, the, the challenge. Um, the problem comes from the rest. Yeah, Jokic has been unbelievable so far. These, these are his stats through three games, and Corbin, I'm just going to uh, reiterate to anyone listening that uh, when we did our predictions pod, I selected Nikola Jokic as my oh MVP. My and uh, <laughs> through three games, uh, at least from an individual perspective, uh, his statistics are, are pretty solid. He's only putting up 24 points a game, 12 rebounds, 14 assists on 62% shooting from the field. <laughs> I knew I was going to hear this. I deserve it, but ouch. <laughs> like, you said this. I'm like, okay, man. Like, yeah, I guess you can. But, like, let's be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you said it. Um, he's, he's he's a front runner up there. He's up there. Yeah, the, the only challenge for his MVP case so far through three games is the Nuggets are one and two. They're, they're playing, it, I think, tonight as we, as we record this. But, uh, um, the, the, the Nuggets are certainly going to have to start winning games. And, and again, part of the reason they, they haven't been successful is the play of Jamal Murray. So far through three, he's averaging just 17.7 points, only two assists, Corbin, two assists per game on 39.5% from the field with a true shooting percentage of 53%. Now, I will say in his defense, he has 
had this uh, history of getting off to sort of slow starts to begin seasons, and then he picks it up. But you would hope that eventually he just gets over that, because, I mean, that's that's rough just to know that your second-best player is going to just be a below-average starter for the first month of the season. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's kind of disappointing, uh, to say the least. I mean, just to... Even I didn't see that coming. But, like, you look back, you're inspired from what you saw in the last performance. You know, last time the season ended, you go, okay, we're going to build off that. And then you come on the absolute dud, and you're just like, um, like, I've been with you through training camp. As short as it was, I've been with you through this. Like, this is what this is what's happening? Like, okay, I, I guess. It, it has to be a knock, you know, especially when you're expecting players to understand, okay, you know, our roster's a little bit different. We have our small forwards in, like, a battle for the starting spot. Um, one clearly not performing as well off the bench, Will Barton. And then you look back and you're like, oh, this is this is where I'm at. This is just, I don't know. Yeah, the uh, the Nuggets need to need to get things together. And you mentioned their their depth is a bit of an issue, and especially since they haven't had Jamichael Green to start the season, uh, he'll he'll be a big a big boost. But uh, yeah, as far as Sacramento, we already brought up Tyrese Halliburton, but I'm just so impressed with that guy's ability to to again be a a contributor right away as a rookie. He he has some craft handling the pick and roll. He's made some nice flashy passes at times. His his funky shot form has translated. He's knocking down his threes, uh, and you know he's a he's a defensive playmaker as well. He just gets some hands on some balls. You'll see you know some of those in uh, teams with the swing 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 sort of situation, and he he anticipates it and gets his big mitts on the on the basketball for a steal or a or just to, to knock it out of bounds and prevent an open shot. But he's been good. And, you know, uh, Buddy Heald, the guy that hit the uh, the game-winning shot, the, the game-winning tip-in, uh, he has looked like the Buddy Heald from a couple of years ago, and perhaps he was just unhappy with the situation last year. And, um, you know, he's he's at least looking, he's still not, he's still overpaid, but he's, he's at least looking like a decent offensive player out there. And Luke Walton, I think, also has understood, uh, unfortunately it took him a year, that, hey, what Dave Yeager did with this team a couple of years ago and having them play super fast actually works. Yeah, who would have thunk it? Right? <laughs> I mean, taking guys who play best in the open court and kind of stall in an isolation half-court game, maybe using them to their fullest potential uh, might not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, so uh, the... Um, the, the Christmas Day games, again, I mentioned at the outset, were, were kind of disappointing. and not There wasn't really a single game that was particularly close. The only full game I watched was the, was the Brooklyn-Boston game, um, and, and Brooklyn ended up handling the Celtics uh, pretty handily. But one of the things that's been interesting watching Boston so far is, again, with, uh, with no Kemba, he's out currently with the knee issue, and, of course, they lost Gordon Hayward and also no Romeo Lankford to begin the season. They've gone with, Brad Stevens has gone with these dual center lineups with Tyson Thompson. What what has been your thoughts on, on that duo and that starting unit? I haven't really liked it, especially when you're saying, okay, Tristan, we're going to have you guard KD. Like, KD's playing the four, but KD is nowhere near traditional four. And in no circumstance would you ever have Tristan playing KD straight up, you know, whether that was in him being a center and KD being a small forward or Durant, you know, playing larger. I mean, that's just not a, a spot where you're putting Tristan Thompson in a fair position. You, 
just aren't. And uh, it, it just hasn't been good. There's been lines where he's matched up where I guess if you're playing with a bigger, more traditional 4-5, then yeah, you can get away with it. It's still not ideal, but you can get away with some of those minutes. But other than that, you're killing your spacing on the offensive end. On the defensive end, you have no versatility. Yeah, you're playing those guys, but it's not like they're the switchiest defenders. They just happen to be smaller. But you're not winning the rebounding battle that way, and you're also not winning the quickness factor as well when you're matched up against guys who can beat you up the bounce, as KD did, KD did repeatedly in that third quarter over against Thompson. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm not a fan of that uh, that lineup, and yeah, especially offensively. You know, Boston finished as a top five offense last year. Uh, I would be shocked if they're even top 10 this season, given what I've seen. Uh, you know, and they're also playing Grant Williams a lot at the four. So really, they're, they're almost, for, for most of the game, playing with two traditional bigs. And in 2020, that's just not going to lead to a lot of offensive success. And again, Kemba being one of their better offensive players, being out, that's not going to help. And, uh, you know, Jason Tatum as well, with this, with this extra burden, this extra usage, he, uh, he his shot selection has has gotten questionable again, and also at the the end of games it's gotten questionable. You know the the shot he hit to beat Milwaukee, the the step back over Giannis wasn't a particularly good shot, and and uh, I think most people would say he was lucky getting that to to bank in off the glass from the side. Um, but then also in the game against uh, Indianapolis on uh, this past Sunday. He, uh, he again, with his team down one at the end of the game, opts for a step-back 30-footer, and that time it didn't go. But you just got to wonder, why are you resorting to these sorts of shots? You've got, you've got all the talent, the ball handling, and the size in the world to, to get to, a, to a, a better look. Yeah, it's not your game. You know, I mean, and it is in a way of like, yeah, let's just say it's not Dame Lillard. He has range. He can shoot. He can make, manufacture better shots than what he did then. Those types of shots are still, you know, even if you're feeling it, those are still hard shot attempts, you know, to kind of con- to, to kind of conjure up, especially when you don't have to. I I don't understand it. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I get it. Hero ball is a thing, and, and having you know being able to kind of create, you know, a, a tough shot, a, the Kobe special, the fadeaways, that type of thing is good. It worked for him against Milwaukee, but it's not a it's not a long term uh, option for success. And we saw it again just what last night. Yeah, um, the uh, Peyton Pritchard, I thought, another rookie, I think has looked pretty good for them. Uh, uh, he's immediately supplanted a uh, what was an early second-round pick last year in Carson Edwards in their rotation, and, and he's been a guy that's knocked down shots. He plays hard defensively, gets in your jersey, uh, a guy that I have, I have liked from what I've seen so far. I think Jalen Brown has, uh, has looked pretty decent in terms of a guy that you know, he was really pretty much exclusively an off-the-ball, catch-and-shoot, catch-and-go player last season when they had Kemba and Hayward out there. But uh, this season, they've given him the ball more. His usage rate has skyrocketed. His uh, assist percentage is up. His turnover rate is still really low. Uh, he's, uh, he's been very effective uh, getting to the, to the rim and and converting in the mid-range. It's, it's just his three-point shot hasn't fallen so far, which is drag down his efficiency but I've liked what I've seen from uh, from Brown and that you know no it's not ideal to have him as your second option but in a pinch if you need to for a certain period of time I, I think he's shown enough that uh, you know you, you're not uh, you're not getting killed with him uh, handling the ball and uh, soaking up some some offensive possessions 
Yeah, just a little bit of everything. A little bit of off-ball versatility, uh, a little bit of slashing, a little bit of shooting. I mean, like you said, it's not your ideal secondary option because it's a little bit of everything. But it's enough that you can step up and give you a big game every once in a while. Um, you know, plays really smooth, not a whole lot of cracks to his game, and is a great complementary player. Um, you know, a one-half of a good tandem for a core, but, you know, maybe not the one guy you can lean on. I think that's another thing. They're putting so much pressure and so much stress on guys like uh, Jason Tatum and, and Brown to create everything because you don't really have a, a plethora of playmaking after the loss of both uh, Kemba for the short term and Gordon Hayward just for the for forever. You know, um, you're looking at you know whatever Jeff T can provide. And he's been up and down. Um, to put it lightly, you don't really have a lot else you're, you're kind of messing with in terms of okay, get this guy a shot, get anyone a shot, um, and it's a lot of ISO and and. and you know, ball movement that ultimately leads back to Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum with the shot clock, you know, kind of in danger zone. The other Christmas game that I, uh, I watched the first half of this one, and uh, uh, which was the, uh, the Miami Heat versus the New Orleans Pelicans. And uh, Miami in that game certainly looked fantastic on the offensive end. Now, they, they've struggled a little bit in their other games. They lost to Orlando on opening night, and then uh, as you mentioned, they're getting absolutely eviscerated by the Milwaukee Bucks uh, as we're recording this. Um, but uh, on Christmas Day, the Heat looked like the Eastern Conference champions. Uh, they they had a lot of actions going with uh, that that uh, pick and roll with Dragic and Bam Adebayo with uh, with Duncan Robinson on the strong side corner, and the, the Pelicans just didn't know what to do with it. Uh, Duncan Robinson looks... Uh, Looks really good in the early going. Uh, looks like that season he had last year is no fluke. Um, but, you know, I, I saw you mention this on Twitter as well as far as the Pelicans. Uh, the and, and this was something that I certainly was concerned about as far as their offense, and I wasn't that high on their offense going in, was that, you know, they just do not have enough shooting in that starting lineup with Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe and Zion uh, that, you know, that's just not enough spacing in 2020 to be a solid half-court offense. No, it really isn't. And it's something I've thought about for a little bit in terms of I really wish when that trade went down and the Pelicans made those moves, they decided that they had, if they had the option, I think that they did, to keep George Hill over um, Eric Bledsoe. I get it, Bledsoe's younger, but at the same time, I just, I don't know. You have, you have a spot, a guy in... George Hill, who brings, you know, same veteran leadership, some actual length and athleticism on the defensive end. Well, maybe not athleticism, more like length and, and able to kind of, you know, play good defense there. And you get some actual shooting, a solid three-point shooter. Eric Bledsoe on his best day is inconsistent. And you're right. Like, I like Adams in the starting five. It's different. It's definitely 1990s basketball. But, you know, he definitely thumbs up the works. He can rebound pretty well. Um, you know, it's interesting. But you can't have a weakness at both your five and your one. And bad enough, you know, Lonzo's gotten better as a shooter, but he's not like a lights-out, knock-down shooter. Eric Bledsoe is far from it. So if that's your starting backcourt, and you know what your frontcourt is, well, Zion is basically not a shooter, and Stephen Adams definitely isn't, then you're only looking at Brandon Ingram to create any type of shooting for y'all, and that's just not a recipe for success, or at least not a repetitive recipe for success. Right, and yeah, so that starting lineup, it has a ton of defensive talent, uh, again, which is why I was pretty high on their defense, and, and Zach Lowe, uh, in his most recent episode of his podcast, The Low Post, talked uh, a, a little bit about what Stan Van Gundy, what he typically does with his teams and how that's translated to the Pelicans. So uh, check that out if you want to hear a little bit more about New Orleans. But uh, um, 
that that starting unit has a lot of defensive talent, and then they bring in off the bench, they bring in Redick and Melly with those second units, and all of a sudden it's like, well, yeah, now they've got enough shooting, but they're terrible defensively. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's the complete opposite. And it's, it's rough, because you're right, especially a team that had their whole kind of strength, uh, a little bit of their identity built around that, does a, does a complete 180, and it's like, okay, the very thing that led you to success is now kind of some of your undoing. Yeah. Moving on to uh, some games on the day after Christmas, and I'm pretty sure you would watch this because you're doing the uh, the podcast now spanning the Spurs, but that Raptors-Spurs game on December 26th, what a great contest that was. And, oh, it was. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty jealous of you because this Spurs team looks like a team that's going to be a joy to watch night in and night out. Oh, they are so fun right now. You're right. Like, a lot of it I think I'm excited mostly to see how they look Derek White comes back, but you have a lineup where, you know, starting five, DeJounte Murray, you have Lonnie Walker, uh, you have DeMar DeRozan at the three, Keldon Johnson at the four, and LaMarcus Aldridge at the five, and, you know, LaMarcus is definitely spaced out, his rebounding has just plummeted, rebounding rate, rebounding, all of that, has just gone straight down the tubes, but his shooting, or at least the threat of it, because outside of mid-range, his three-point shooting's not great, it's opened the floor so much, and the rest of those guys just get out and run in transition, they run off the break, DeMar Rosen is, is what, after all, the next oldest person starting lineup, and even at 31, he can still get up and finish, and it's a wider, spacier unit that, it, it, it's, it's a fun, it, it's weird to say fun and spurs at the same time, but it's a fun style of basketball to watch, and that Raptors game went down to the wire, and DeMar Rosen started hitting threes, and I was like, okay, like, this is, this is cool, like, the Spurs are, they're mad decent right now. I mean, their defense is a big concern, um, just in general. Uh, their defense is several weak points. DeJounte Murray has had some good moments, uh, but there's been some weak points up and down the roster. Uh, LaMarcus defending any space your fives or any fives that can be him off the bounce, which is a lot at this point. Um, it's different, but offensively, this team is, is a blast to check out. Um, they're a little small, so rebounding's an issue. We saw that against New Orleans uh, a little bit after, but focusing on this Toronto game, I mean, when they get out there and they're spacing the floor and they're finishing on the break and they're knocking down threes, it's just crazy to equate all that with the San Antonio Spurs where the words like methodical and, and you know, the beautiful game passing the rock are, are more of the words that are used. But it's been, it's been, it's been a fun team to watch and rewatch. Well, yeah, and it's it's such a funny sort of uh, divergence for for Popovich from his early days in the NBA. You know, he always, you know, right from the get go, he was playing the twin tower lineups of Duncan and Robinson, and through the mid two thousands, he would play guys like Rajo Nesterovic and uh, Fabricio Oberto with Duncan. Always, you know, and, and even into the into the two twenty tens with uh, Tiago Splitter and Duncan playing together. So. He's almost always in that 2016 team with Aldridge and Duncan. He's always played with two traditional bigs, so I was I was a bit surprised. I was expecting Pirtle to start uh, this season, but no, he's uh, Popovich has just gone all offense with these lineups. Screw it, I'm playing Aldridge at the five, DeRozan at the four, uh, and and yeah, it's made their games you know these really fun, high scoring affairs, offensive contests. And yeah, they've got a nice balance, uh, balance sort of scoring attack with this team, especially with DeRozan actually taking some threes in the early going. We'll see if that continues. But uh, you know, with with DeRozan, Aldridge, uh, Dejounte Murray right now shooting in the mid range, you've got the likes of uh, of of Patty Mills coming off the bench and taking you know pretty much exclusively threes. 
Then you've got Keldon Johnson just relentlessly and Lonnie Walker, the two of them relentlessly attacking the rim. Uh, they've they've got a fun style and uh, you know a, a varied attack that is really tough to stop. And and that was the one thing about you know and that's been the one thing about the Raptors that have been a, that has been a bit disappointing. And I expected a bit of a downgrade with the loss of Gasol and Ibaka and and uh, Hollis Jefferson, those guys not being there, I expected a bit of a downgrade defensively, but so far they they have not shown to be that elite defensive unit yet. And uh, part of it is, I think, the, the zone defense hasn't been as effective for them. They showed it in the Spurs game, and San Antonio just ripped it apart. Uh, and the man-to-man at times, it's also been kind of questionable, the scheme. And in that Spurs game, they, they kept doubling DeMar DeRozan 28 feet from the rim, and I was a little yeah. confused as to, you know, what the purpose of that was. Um, I know DeMar is a, is, a pretty, is a professional scorer, but it's not, you know, the guy is still, like, not Kobe Bryant. He's not LeBron James. Uh, he's not Damian Lillard or Steph Curry, so... Uh, yeah, the, the Raptors' defense has been, has been a bit disappointing. And, uh, you know, on the offensive end for Toronto, OG Ananobi, I don't know if you if you caught this, but I think he's reworked his jumper a little bit. It looks a little different to me, and it uh, he's struggled to connect on it in the early going. Yeah, in fact, I was watching this, um, well, today. I mean, they were recording a little bit earlier. It, it, was, it, it was different. It kind of, it's gotten a little better on the last couple of games, at least, especially at least tonight or it seems quicker. I think that was the goal of the of it's the alteration is to get it off quicker. Exactly. Now, I mean, it's a little less as quick as it was in that game where he hit in the playoffs. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, it's not quite maybe as accurate. I think he's still trying to smooth it out. But yeah, it was a little bit more of a, I don't want to say exaggerated or a more elongated kind of form um, before. And you can tell it's definitely trying to be a little more compact. It's still a work in progress, but I think it's getting better, you know? Absolutely. Well, yeah, did you have any more thoughts about that game, or should we move on? Oh, I'm down to move on. I think we kind of covered it, you know, classic Duncan Dynasty fashion. Yeah, you're probably <laughs> like, uh, I have to talk about the Spurs enough, man. Let's move on. <laughs> <So, let's... laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I will say this. I think that this team, I was a little more down on them before I watched. Um, they still have some issues they definitely have to sort out, but this is a great start. Um, to where they are, I like that Pop is evolving. Uh, a little bit of how his philosophy is because it's, it's more modern, you know. And he's shown up until the last couple of years, I thought he did evolve very, very well. Um, even that 2014 team, even though it had some basic tenets of um, Popovich basketball, it still had some signs of evolution. But this right here is a full-on like commitment to the move, and I and I do like that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a fun team to watch. I want to see how these two are defensively. They have a couple of games coming up here against the Lakers that are going to be interesting to see how they match up with them. But I'm very happy uh, about being able to cover them. It's, it's it was it was a good it was a good team to pick uh, with the early goings. Early returns are very positive. Absolutely. So uh, let's talk about the you brought this up earlier the Houston Portland game that was a crazy one. Uh, James Harden putting up 44 points in his uh, his opening night. So all the talk about him maybe being out of shape or him you know going out and partying and not taking this seriously. The dude can still ball. <laughs> There's no question <laughs> yes, about it. Uh, but uh, Portland ended up getting a uh, an overtime victory in that one, and C.J. McCollum, man, that that boy just went off. Yes. Oh my goodness, C.J. was on fire. Um, he basically could not miss a huge forty-four point game, and I mean, it, it was it was unconscious. And you know, we've seen some performances from these Portland guys before in terms of their backcourt, Lillard and McCollum. 
this night, I mean, he was just, he was the hottest guy on the floor. And that's saying something when you had James Harden on the other side. I was, um, and we'll talk about the, the Portland uh, Lakers game here in a minute. And I thought Terry Stotts did a great job with his rotations in that game. But specifically in the Houston game, I was scratching my head at a lot of his decisions. Uh, he he wasn't really staggering Lillard and McCollum enough, so they had uh, about four minutes at the start of the second quarter where neither of them were on the floor. He had lineups with Lillard, McCollum, Hood, Mello, and Cantor. And, uh, you know, how can you play lineups that lack, like, even one of your top four or five defensive players? <laughs> that seems baffling to me. Uh, he, he also didn't stagger his wing defenders in Covington and Jones Jr. It's like, those two are your best defensive players. You should probably have one of them on the floor at all times. And then Carmelo Anthony was uh, seemingly playing way more than I, I thought he should and, and also being the primary initiator with the second unit, which is like, you know, this, this inefficient offense. It was a great story last year, but he's still most effective playing off the ball and just being a spot-up shooter. Like, I... I do not think Portland should be feeding Mello the ball 15 times on the mid-post. No, I agree with you. The, the whole um, Nuggets-Knicks-Carmelo, it, it's been gone for at least five years now. You know, it, it's it's a wrap on that. That ship has totally sailed. Um, and yeah, you're, you're right. The rotations were wonky, especially considering that you had a guy in Gary Trent Jr. who, I mean... Played like five minutes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and as we're going to talk about later, as he played the next night, you're like, what are you doing? Sitting on him. Right. Yeah, uh, really, really bizarre playing in Fernie Simons essentially over Gary Trent Jr. There's no universe where Simons is a better basketball player. And, and you know, Simons does look a little bit better, looks a little more comfortable out there than he did last year through a couple of games. But yeah. but still, Trent Jr. is a is far superior basketball player, both as an off-ball shooter and as a defender. Uh, so, yeah, very questionable, but... Uh, as far as Houston in that game, you know, getting to see, and, and I'll be honest, I haven't watched a ton of Christian Wood leading into this season, and uh, I was really impressed with his ability, uh, you know, all over the floor. I'd heard plenty about his uh, all-around offensive skill, but uh, the guy is, is excellent, and it was refreshing to watch after, you know, seeing most of last year where James Harden had no pick-and-roll partner because the Rockets weren't playing a center and he just was 100% in isolation mode. It was refreshing to see him actually run pick-and-rolls again, and and frankly, I think James Harden is more effective with a pick-and-roll partner because it gives him more opportunities to utilize his exceptional passing skills. Uh, yeah, I think the only ones who didn't see that were, you know, the Rockets last year. I mean, even I mean, let's just be real. Having someone like, having someone like, Christian Wood, who is a totally different player than Capella, but better in different ways in terms of his offensive versatility, that, that's a big boon, you know? So you're having someone where that, that threat of vertical playmaking was always huge for, for Harden. He always had it up until last year, um, well, up until the last half of the year with Russ. Whether it was um, uh, Omer Ashik back when he first came or Dwight Howard and, and then later on Capella once Dwight left, you know, he's always had that guy that was a threat of him. He could, you know, go in the basket, uh, lob it up at the top and, and finish plays that way. Um, with Wood, he can do that with a lob over the top off the pick and roll. He can do a, a totally new element with the pick and pop. He can do a short roll pass and have Christian Wood be a little bit of a playmaker. Um, Wood's versatility opens up so many more options for both him and Harden. It almost a symbiotic relationship that feeds really well. 
Yeah, Harden, I think, is one of the best lob passers in the NBA, along with, yes. like, Luka Doncic and Chris Paul, I think, are up there. But, uh, yeah, um, the, the thing that impressed me the most watching that pick-and-roll duo is you. I knew that Wood was going to be able to do what Capella did, and, as you mentioned, be that lob threat. But then also, you know, Wood provides the pick-and-pop threat, uh, which is nice. You can have a little bit of variation in that screen game and switch it up. But what really impressed me was, you know, and, and that was the issue maybe with Capella, is when you double Harden on that screen and then Harden throws the ball to Capella on four on threes, he was a little lost catching it 18 feet from the basket. But Christian Wood seems very comfortable with that, being able to take dribbles, get all the way to the hoop in a dribble or two. He's got good mobility. He can do like a Euro step move around the basket. He's also a decent passer. Uh, so, yeah, his comfortability really makes it so that no matter what you do as a defense, if, if James Harden and Christian Wood are involved, uh, the Rockets are going to get a good look. Yeah, you're right, either way. And then some of that, I think uh, Coach Silas has some more uh, different kind of looks, different schemes I like. It's, it's, it's interesting, and you said that. Uh, Kung Capella had this. He didn't know what to do. He wasn't a shooter. He still isn't a shooter. Um, so getting the ball that far out, okay, I can't dunk this. Uh, don't really have any touch shot around this area. Um, I guess I'll pass it right back out. And you have someone in Wood who can and will take shots from there or farther and can make plays with the ball, take guys off the dribble. You mentioned that Euro step. Uh, he's done that a couple times now. He, he's a nice hybrid big. Perfect for the system. I only wish he was there earlier. And being how he bounced around, it's, it's crazy to think that Houston could have possibly had him. Yeah, he had a Eurostep dunk on one play. I forget over yes. over who, but I was like, damn, that was very impressive. Was not expecting him to put the guy on a poster. But uh, another guy for Houston, an undrafted guy out of Ohio State that I was impressed with in that game in particular was Jay Sean Tate. Yes, yes. He's, his shot, I mean, he's definitely embracing the Houston mode of getting him up, whether or not they're actually going down. But... What I, I can say with absolute confidence is that, you know, his, as a defender, as a defender, man, uh, I, I like him. I mean, he's he's someone who plays a perfect position, uh, being this kind of energy, kind of do-it-all, want-to-do-it-all type of big. I, I think I think that, um, I don't know, I think that he's a, a piece, well, he's 26, I don't know if he's a piece to kind of build around, but he's someone that has definitely earned himself a spot. Um, he almost reminds me of Daniel House in Houston. Yeah, I mean, not he, saying in terms of player, but opportunity making the most of it, that sort of thing. So. Right, and and yeah, I didn't realize he was that old, but yeah, uh, he he definitely looked like a, a guy that deserves to be on an NBA roster, and for an undrafted guy, that alone is a is an achievement. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, so moving on then to uh, there was a game between Utah and Minnesota. Minnesota ended up winning it one sixteen one eleven. I believe that was this past Saturday. But uh, just had a couple of notes from that game. Um, just This is just a, a league pass alert or watch for, for people if, if they don't know about Dave Benz and Jim Peterson. I mentioned this on my league oh, pass gosh. rankings pod with Evan Dial, but those two are terrific. Immediately, as soon as I turned that game on and I, I picked them as the broadcast crew, they're throwing out a stat. <laughs> it was uh, the... Um, best three-point percentage of guys in the early shot clock between 24 and 18 seconds. And they mentioned that Joe Ingles had the best three early th- shot clock three-point percentage. And then I think uh, another Utah player had the, the ninth best. But it's just like, those are the kind of stats that I want to see in a broadcast. You know, I, not something that I see anywhere or anyone, anybody else talking about. I want to get some stats, some information that I didn't know going in. 
Yeah, something that educates you, you know, about the game. And that's something that NBA coverage can improve on so much. But you're right, that Minnesota broadcast gives you a great look at you. You go away taking, yes, you take away the game. You take away kind of what, what like, the win and the loss, but how it happened in real time as it's going down. It's really good. Um, another one underrated, uh, Washington has um, uh, some interesting analysis as well. Uh, but Minnesota is top-notch and have been the gold standard for that for the last couple of years. I'll have to I'll have to keep the Washington in mind. I haven't gotten around to watching them yet. I know as a uh, as a I'm a Westbrook guy, so you know I kind of have to. Right, right. Um, so uh, we can get around to Westbrook if you want, but I I figure based on their start that you'll probably want to leave that for another day. Yeah, let's, just, let's touch on. Let's get another. It's a small sample size. Oh and four. It's a very small sample size. Let's give it some more time. But uh, the the other note I had about that Utah Minnesota game, uh, you know, it was a close affair going back and forth, and Utah was down three with 4.9 seconds left, and Quinn Snyder has Rudy Gobert in the ball game at that point, and Utah ends up committing a five-second violation and turning it over and losing their chance to tie it, but I just wonder there, I get that Gobert is a screener and they're going to, you know, shout about the screen assists and all of that, but at the same time, when you're down three, I would rather just have five guys that are a threat in that situation. And and also, you know, as a guy like Gobert, he's not even looking for the ball either because he's worried if if he catches it, they're just going to, you know, not guard him completely and deny any pass. And so he's not even looking for the ball in the inbound, which I thought contributed to the five-second violation. Yeah, it was, it was a... Yeah, Minnesota getting a a good win early on, and uh, you know they've they've been a team that in past I think I heard uh, again on that low post pod that they started three zero last year, uh, and were even seven and four, and they've had these stretches of Carl Anthony Towns in particular where yeah the first ten games he looks like he's committed to being a, an above average defensive player, and then the yeah. season continues and that just ends. Uh, so yeah, injuries come in, it's it's a mess. And- yeah, but I mean injuries. He was. The, let's just be real. The was the Timberwolves are already slipping well before Cat got injured last year. But you're right. That strong, encouraging start happens. It, it's a theme. It's it, it's a it's a it's an annual tradition for the Minnesota. And then you know the rest happens. The bottom falls out. Well, and I guess if you're if you're an optimist for the Timberwolves, uh, I guess you would say that Cat is is content playing with D'Lo and. Uh, you know, Anthony Edwards and the improved play of Culver has maybe uh, at, uh, rejuvenated this team and gotten them more excited about uh, the the season. But we'll have to wait and see. I'm I'm still going to uh, be uh, you know I'm I'm still uh, going to, to to consider the Timberwolves on the outside looking in as far as the playoffs until uh, they're they're uh, in the top eight when we get to like the halfway mark. And that's honestly more than fair considering. You know the circumstances. Um, it, it just makes sense. I like them. I, I guess I'm especially encouraged by the play of uh, Anthony Everett so far, um, who you know I've been super duper high on. But um, aside from that, yeah, it, it's probably uh, best to just kind of keep them with uh, optimistic yet modest expectations for them. So let's talk about the the Portland versus uh, L.A. Lakers game. And uh... you have to. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let's go. 
Well, I mean, we don't have to talk too much about the the Lakers if you're if you don't want to get too down. Uh, we can more talk about and, and and frankly, I thought it was more what Portland did really well that got them that win as opposed to anything the Lakers did really poorly. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm messing around with you. I'm excited. I'm, I agree with you. Let's kind of dive in because I uh, we talked about how bad Trey Stott's first moves were in the game before, and then uh, he rebounded in a, in a pretty decent way this one. Yeah, straight up did not play Carmelo which I think was great. That was something where I, I thought, even during the regular season, there's certain matchups where, yeah, he just doesn't need to play at all, uh, given the, the depth and talent on this roster that they have now, especially at the wing. Uh, he, uh, you know, again, uh, after the game against Houston where he played Anferny Simons over Gary Trent Jr., he he gave a ton of minutes to, to Trent Jr. this time. Still played Simons a bit, but not nearly as much as the previous game. And I'm fine if Simons gets 10 to 12 minutes. That's that's okay. If he's the ninth or 10th guy, I think that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, staggered. He staggered the likes of, uh, of Covington and Jones Jr. more this game. And those two guys in particular, their two big acquisitions, showed exactly why so many people were so high on the, this Blazers offseason. Covington making so many plays, helping. He got a couple of, he got a strip and and knocked the ball off of KCP's knee on a drive. He got a nice uh, block coming over and helping uh, at the rim. Uh, just made a, a ton of terrific help defensive plays. And then Jones Jr. also on both ends of the floor, really, but defensively coming from behind and and blocking LeBron. LeBron had had that classic move where he spins and bodies up the center and creates space for that left to right layup and uh Derek Jones Jr. came from behind and swatted it uh but then also on those four on three situations when Lillard got doubled uh they did a really good job of that guy catching the ball off of the trap making a play, taking a dribble towards the rim, and Jones Jr., who was in the strong side corner, then would cut baseline and go for that lob, a la what the Warriors did when you know with the likes of uh, Andre Iguodala, where he'd be in the corner, and he would uh, get the lob pass from Draymond Green. But um, the Blazers looked really good on both ends of the floor, and uh, you know you, you can't talk about this game without talking about Trent Jr.'s offensive performance. Uh, I believe he hit eight threes on the night. Uh, I think, no, seven. Seven, but Se- was, seven was, threes, so yeah. Close, yeah. No, it was close. And honestly, I was going to say, um, I, as much as I, I just gave um, Terry Stotts credit, we do have to also understand that because of uh, health and safety protocols, Carmelo didn't travel to play well, like, Oh, shoot. So I guess yeah. that's, uh, you know... Um, Maybe that will be something that uh, illuminates uh, things for for Stotts. That uh, oh, Melo didn't play at all, and we had this great win on the road against one of the best teams in the NBA. Maybe there's something to that. Exactly. You would hope one would hope that's the case. Um, but unfortunately, he um, well, I like Melo still. So unfortunately, fortunately, tomato, tomato, take your pick. Um, he has joined the team a couple hours ago, and most likely will play Wednesday versus Clippers. So we'll have to see how and where that all comes together and works out. But in the meantime, between time, um, yeah, Gary Trent, he had 11 in the first quarter, um, constantly supplied the Blazers with offense, especially when they kind of hit a rut. Um, Damian Lillard turned it on late, but it was Gary Trent who kind of kept the game manageable um, within and within close distance, uh, knocking down some threes that were tough, um, using the, the leveraging the shot of his three ball into, you know, penetration, uh, short-range jump shots, and, 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 and finishing around the basket. He played very well. Also, you know, defending on the other end, a solid spark plug for them that could really fill it up. And I mean, the dude, he 
Yeah. Yeah, really solid performance. And, and yeah, I take away everything, I, all my compliments towards Terry Stotts. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming now that you say that, that it was literally just <laughs> Trent Jr. was playing what would have been the Carmelo Anthony minutes. And uh, that's really all there is to it. Again, uh, hopefully hopefully he'll learn and make better decisions as, as time goes on. But yeah, Melo should not be playing more than 15 minutes. He should not be the primary source of offense at any point. And, and Gary Trent Jr. is probably one of the five best players on the Portland Trailblazers, so he should be getting 28 to 34 minutes every single night. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's the guy who's going to be part of the next, uh, really, he's going to have a starting spot in the next two years. Okay, that's my call. Yeah, so the there was one other team that we didn't really talk about yet that, that I wanted to discuss, and, and in large part because of that uh, Atlanta-Chicago game that I watched, but uh, the Atlanta Hawks offensively look really, really good. I was really high on their offense. You know, I, I thought with, with Trey Young and John Collins and Kevin Herter, you add the likes of, uh, of Gallinari and Bogdanovich to that core. They've got so much offensive talent and the likes of DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, those guys look really good as well. This whole team really seems to be coming together, and uh, it's a young group, but, um, you know, in part, I think it, they've, they've benefited from the absence of Capella early on because everybody, all of their, most of their young core has been able to get plenty of time, and, uh, but, but yeah, offensively in particular, this team just looks absolutely unstoppable, and, They've got so much shooting, so much playmaking, and everybody is is coming into their own. Yeah, it's peaking at the right time for a team that has a lot of offense. We talked about that. We kind of struggled, or at least thought about the defense and how that worked out. Um, and then you had uh, Capella and Rondo both come in in their most recent game, another win, and they both played um, reasonably well, had their impact on the game in different ways. And, and you're right. I mean, it's a versatile offensive attack. You know, players have really come into their own and stepped up in major ways. Trey Young is still playing not only smarter, but also shooting a lot more efficiently, uh, still getting to the line with, you know, some dubious calls, but at the same time, um, he's finding a way to get those calls, which, you know, third-year player, that's, that's a big step up. Um, yeah, you can't help but just marvel at how they're playing and look at, yeah, they're, they're, they're doing the groundwork now. They're doing the things they should be doing, which is one of the games that they can get right now, and they're going to have some tough competition coming up ahead, but uh, you know that they'll be ready for that with the more time they have to gel together. And it looks legit. I think that's the most uh, lasting part from this. It looks something that can be replicated, you know? And um, that's what you have to hope if you're if you're a Hawks fan. But, yeah, I, I like the way they play in general. I think the one concern I have is about John Collins, maybe his role long-term, whether he will be moved to the deadline, you know, whether he is due for an extension. Because looking at the last couple of games in terms of both minutes and shot attempts, he's, he's there. He's part of the Yeah, it will be interesting to see, and apparently there was news that he rejected a ninety-plus million-dollar ex- uh, rookie extension. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. But you know, I think Travis Schlank and all the all the reports were that he got really pressured into winning now. You know, and that uh, head coach Lloyd Pierce was on the hot seat or whatever, but. But I think this was kind of, um, you know, just they they were ended up they ended up being fortunate that this ended up being the perfect time to head towards winning now because the likes of Trey Young and and Herder had had a couple of years to, you know, Trey Young don't forget was was terrible in his rookie season for the most part, or at least the first half of his rookie season. Kevin Herder 
you know, showed some signs as a, as a shooter, but was really nothing but a spot-up guy. He's developed his pick-and-roll game, his passing ability. Uh, you know, last year, DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish were, were really poor for most of the year, but they were able, because they were bad and not really going for things, they were able to just let them go through those lumps and, and learn through experience. And all of those guys now that the team is, is trying to compete seem to have uh, turned the corner. So, yeah, I'm really high on Atlanta. I think their offense is going to be absolutely sensational. And, uh, yeah, I think they're, they're going to make the playoffs. And uh, I'm, 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 I'm uh, going to add a little bit to your uh, wound with the Wizards. But uh, I think my pick of the Hawks over the Wizards for the eighth seed in the playoffs, Corbin, is looking pretty good right about now. You know what? I'm really the more we go on with this, the less I like it. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I gotta say, I have to agree with you. <laughs> well, yeah. Was there any uh, was there any other teams or players or notes you had that uh, you wanted to discuss before we we wrap things up here? Uh, no, not really. I think we did a, a real good job. As always, it was fun getting on with you and breaking it down. But definitely look forward to more of a. I want to see some more games. A lot of it, I feel hesitant. And I was talking with this. Uh, a little bit ago on my other podcast, like, I don't want to do power rankings and stuff since then. It's been nice to have something like this with just evaluating our thoughts and our initial reactions because it's so weird. I feel like the sample size is weird. Um, you know, where teams are, I think another couple of games to shake things out would be easier. And with us being able to analyze it now and kind of already look at what choices <laughs> myself or I went wrong on or whatever are cool and then look back on this in a couple weeks and see what's changed. But, um, no, it's been a lot of fun. I think we, we did a pretty thorough job, Garrett. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I'm. I, I want to do maybe a couple of uh, of individual team sort of uh, um, analysis with maybe some some special guests over the next couple of weeks. But yeah, perhaps in three or four weeks we can uh, get back together and and do a, a power rankings or a, or a tiers sort of podcast once we've once we've had about a month into the season where we've we've kind of gotten we've gotten a decent look and, and seen, you know, a half a dozen to a dozen games of, of all these teams. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me, and I think it'll be a lot of fun to see the Wizards go on an 8-0 win streak. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have to do, uh, we'll have to do uh, um, once I actually get around to doing some, uh, some watching of the, the Washington Wizards, uh, we'll have to do uh, an individual team breakdown of them as well. But, Corbin, thanks so much for for coming on and uh, being a part of this 150th episode of Duncan Dynasty. Uh, wow. uh, this was uh, this was a blast. This was an honor. Thank you, man. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some, some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the, the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he, uh, he does, a, d- does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. 
I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or the DMV or house cleaning or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.